Well, it is a blessing, as always, to be able to share from God's Word. Uh, this morning, we're going to be finishing up chapter 3, and uh, I just wanted to just kind of lead in with a couple of questions for us to be contemplating, for us to be considering. Um, last week, I had the opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, if I'm clearing my throat every once in a while, I apologize. Uh, allergies are um, doing their thing right now. Last week, I had the opportunity to be at a wedding, and the, the pastor, or the man who was doing the officiating, um, started to share one of the metaphors that Christ himself had uh, shared with those who were around him, some of his disciples, but also the crowds. And, and really, it was uh, this, I'm not, I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but it really was just pointing to himself, pointing to Christ. Yet, this individual missed Christ. So as we, uh, <laughs> amen. So as we look at our passage today, let us not miss Christ and why why He came for us. Okay, that wasn't part of my introduction, <laughs> but um, he continued to go on, um, just defaming the Word of God. So this morning, I want us to consider the Word of God. I want to consider the gift that it is from our Heavenly Father, why He gave it to us, the importance of it in our life. And as we dig into the passage, you'll see, again, just how God um, is trying to just call us to be a disciple of Him who really just surrenders our life to Him. So let me pray, and uh, then we'll get into the passage. We'll read from God's Word, and I'll compose myself. So, the Lord is good. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we rejoice in who you are. Lord, we consider, and even we sang about it this morning, Lord, who we are apart from you. Lord, we are a people in desperate need of redemption. We're people who have fallen and live in the consequences of our sinfulness. We are people who so desperately need your redeeming work in our life. Lord, not only for salvation, but for sanctification. Lord, that we would grow in our obedience to you, but Lord, that that obedience would be deeply rooted in a, in a strong, committed love for you. Lord, that our obedience would also be the result of a, a love for others, that we would be a people who really consider each other, to be your creation, to be works that you have created to glorify you, Heavenly Father. Lord God, as we look at the story, the biblical historical account of Adam and Eve, and we finish out this chapter, we recognize that the truths that are conveyed in this chapter are for all of us today, Lord. That we would have made the same decisions that both Adam and Eve made Lord, that in the very heart of man is a desire to glorify himself. Lord, is a desire to, to run from the commands that you've given us, a desire to live a life that is pleasing and fulfilling to our own heart's desires. Lord, our hearts are idle factories. factories. Lord, you've given us a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart of softness and compassion to you, to your word. And so won't you teach us, won't you instruct us from it this morning? Lord, we pray that we would leave here today not just um, having heard from your word, not just having heard some things we maybe need to consider, but leaving here with an action plan. Lord, uh, an action plan to live increasingly under your care, under your protection, under your blessing, Lord, which comes as a result of living a life of obedience to you. So, Lord God, that is our prayer today, that we would... Um, be scouring your word for the truths that we need to apply to our life, that we need to rest in. Lord, help us to understand increasingly your character, your holiness. Lord, we sang about 
that you are a just God this morning. There is ramifications of your justice in our sinful world. And so we, we turn to the scriptures this morning. We turn to you. We ask that your spirit would be our helper, our teacher, and that you would do your work in our very lives today. It's in Jesus' name that we have access to your throne to come before you and to make these petitions. So we do that today. Amen and amen. Last week, Pastor James reminded us of the critical importance of having a right understanding of Genesis chapter 1 through 3. That these first three chapters really set up the foundation of our faith that we need to understand and believe and rest in what is stated. That God's word is truth. That God's word is infallible. There's no errors within it. God's word is sufficient. There's nothing more than we need and Christ our Savior, the Holy Spirit, God's Word, and resting in the love of our Father. He's given us many blessings beyond that, amen? Amen. So it's important that we have this proper biblical understanding, this proper, proper biblical view of these first three chapters. What has happened in these first three chapters? We, we read of the creation account, how God brought everything into being, including mankind. We then saw last week the fall of man. We saw how the serpent was cursed and we saw the consequences of man's sinfulness. And we're going to read that again this morning just to remind us of these truths because we need to be reminded of why we need a Savior. It's important that we understand the value of God's Word and that we take it as truth. That we don't just pull out select passages that might be a blessing towards us. That we don't just consider certain commands that we say, oh, I can... I can walk in obedience to that one, but those other ones, uh, not so much. I'm just going to ignore them. We all suffer with the the sinful case of sins of commission, things that we've done against a, a holy God and the sins of omission, the things that we simply, not simply, but that we pass are passive in, that we omit doing. He's called us to be a people who live a life completely obedient to his care. So the Bible is this inerrant. It's this sufficient word from God. It's his love letter to us. And it's not only a love letter of Christ dying for our sinfulness, but it's a a book full expressing um, God's character. It's expressing the value of human life. It's expressing great truths and historical accounts of how God brings about redemption for all mankind. And then it points to that future restoration that we get to walk in and enjoy should we be his chosen children. We surrender our lives to him. Not only is God's word truth, but God is truth. We know that to be a fact. We know that in him there is no deceit. We know that in him he cannot lie. And we know that there's nothing left wanting in God our Father. So the question to us this morning as we get into our text is, do we really believe the word of God to be true? And we all would probably say that. Yeah, we believe God's word to be true. Are we trusting in the truths of God's word this morning? Is that where our hope is laid? In the truths that the word expresses to us? Maybe the important question for us to ask this morning is, If we believe God's word to be true, then why do we not listen and obey the word of God? Is it as if we think, well, you know, Lord, you don't know everything right now about my life, and maybe there's this one decision that I'm going to walk in my understanding in my ways. You might be omniscient and knowing all things, but... I think I've got the corner of the market for my life. I I know what's best for me. I might reject what your truths say, what your commands say for this circumstance, this instance. Is that what we're really saying to the Lord when we choose to disobey him? When we choose to be passive to the commands, the prompting of the Spirit in our life? How could we know better than God? How could we even know best, right? We think we sometimes we know best. It's like, God, we know better than you, but in this certain instance, I even know what's best for me. 
because this looks really good. It looks promising. It looks like it's going to be really helpful for me, maybe my family. But God knows what's best. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to contemplate that question as we finish out and close out chapter 3, but I want to refresh our minds what all of chapter 3 states for us. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read through that entire chapter. We'll get into our outline and the text of the last four verses after reading through it. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is the word of God. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit in the tree of the gardens, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God then said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God. Well, we transition this morning from verse 19 into verse 20. We have just read again of the consequences of Adam and Eve, Adam and the woman, his helpers, uh, sinful choices that they made. And what is Adam's response? Does he proclaim to God, well, God, that's not fair. It's not fair that you would send me out of the garden. It's not fair that you would make me toil in work, that there would be thorns and thistles. For how many of us would we have that response? God, it's not fair. Does Adam question God's authority 
to invoke such a curse? We don't read of that. Does he question God in any way? He rests in God's sovereignty. What does he do? He repents. What is, what is repentance? Adam doesn't stay in his continued disobedience of God. Right? Immediately in verse 20, we, we read of his obedience, even in the naming of Eve herself. Adam turns from his sin in obedience. He identifies the woman as Eve, not as the first sinner, which he could have easily done. Right? He could have branded her by her actions that she had just been cursed and would be living out the consequences of her sin. How would, that, how would that be for a name? Sinner. The original sinner. No, Adam rather looks to the future. When we repent, we turn to Christ. In your, <clears throat> excuse me, in your outline this morning, I've titled it The Fall, Curse and Consequences, and then God's blessing and grace, even amidst the curse of our sin. Point number A in your teaching outline says, always choose obedience. Always choose obedience, even after rejecting God's commandments and sinning. We'll talk about the importance of not choosing to reject God's commandments, but always choose obedience. Verse 20 says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve's name actually signifies an obedient act of God, of Adam, where he was trusting in God and God's promises. Adam named his wife Eve, which means living, and it resembles the Hebrew word for life giver. Eve's name reflects her identity and her role, right? who she is, who she was created for, and ultimately what God's plan was for her life. She was to be the mother of all humankind to be born. Adam and Eve had a choice each time they ate to honor God by complying with his will, his desires, his commands. Give them one simple instruction, don't eat of this tree. They had that choice to honor the Lord God, and they had the choice to disobey him effectively choosing their own will as more important than God's. If you consider that, when you make that, that desire to, when you fall into that temptation and you, you flesh out a sinful act against the Lord, you're choosing your own will over the Lord's. Jesus, in his model prayer to the disciples, helped us focus on the holiness, the hallowedness of God himself, the Father. And he instructed us to pray to the Lord that God's will would be done and not our will, right? When we say thy will be done, it's, it's a refocus on God's priorities, God's commands, God's instructions for us. Number two in your outline there is Genesis 1.28. It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam was given some pretty clear instruction there to have dominion over all things. Did he show dominion over the serpent? Adam knows that what God says is truth. And God commanded them to fill the earth. So Adam had that confidence, had that trust, had that assurance that from Eve would come forth all of humankind. God didn't take that promise away, that command away. He did say that there would be increased pain in childbearing. Point number B in your teaching outline this morning, God provides the sacrificial covering for our disobedience. Verse 21 again says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. There's a lot that is happening in that verse. And just like I started out, our message today with, with this individual who was sharing what he thought was the word of God, he missed Jesus. And we're not going to say that we can see Jesus in every little single word from the Old Testament, but it all points to Christ. And there's no better picture of 
the, the, the sacrifice that God the Father would offer up through his son Jesus than this picture right here. We see that the Lord God was the one who made these garments of skins. It showed that point number one under this, under B, our covering is insufficient. At the beginning of Genesis 3, verse 7 and 8, we saw that Adam and Eve made for themselves, uh, using fig leaves, some loin coverings. They tried to cover themselves. And even in covering themselves, what did they do when, when God was asking for them? They still hid from his presence. Their covering was insufficient. What they clothed themselves did not allow them access into the Father's throne. They stood condemned. They hid themselves from God because they were afraid of him. He was a holy God. He was a just God. And they knew that they had disobeyed him. They knew that they had defied him. Secondly, God's sacrifice is sufficient. Is it, it's not only sufficient, it's a complete blessing for us. The Lord God made Adam and Eve new clothes made of animal skins. And this was to replace those fig leaf loin cloths. We don't know how long those would have actually lasted, but we certainly know they wouldn't have been sufficient and been durable. It wouldn't have been a blessing as they worked amongst the thorns and the thistles. God would provide a better covering. Adam and Eve were provided for by God. Clothing he made of skins. God had rested up until this point from creating. He created the earth and all that was in it. He made Adam and his helper fit for him. Now God would prove to be the provider and the helper by making coverings for them. Clothing that actually would require the sacrifice of another living thing. Right? At this point, not a human being. God sacrificed that which was declared good by him. As we walk through the creation account, we hear at the end of each day how God is declaring everything is good. After he declared man, what did he say? This is very good, right? His creation account had been complete. It was very good. God would sacrifice that which he had created and declared good to, for Adam and Eve, which he declared very good. Their physical nakedness did not change when they sinned against God, right? They were naked before. But rather their awareness of being fully visible to God for their disobedience against him. Their sinfulness was, was laid out before them. God had given them uh, a spirit of conviction. And how were they going to respond? The Lord certainly blesses us. Isaiah 61, I'll read it for you, verse 10, says, I will greatly rejoice in, my, in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom, decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is who our Lord God is. It's in his character to provide for us a way of salvation, to provide for us clothing, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sins he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Adam and Eve had sinned against God. Were they revealing God's righteousness in their sinful state? God had declared promises for us that he would be ultimately victorious over this serpent. Point number three, our obedience is desired rather than our sacrifice. Our obedience is desired rather than our sacrifice. And if you would turn with me over to 1 Samuel 15. It's a verse we often quote, but I want us to see how the, the principles even in this passage relate back to Genesis 3. And there's, there's a pattern in our sinfulness that we walk in. 1 Samuel chapter 15, we'll pick it up in verse 17, and we'll read through um, 22. 1 Samuel 15, verse 17, reads this way. And Samuel said, 
Though you are little in your own eyes, he's speaking to Saul. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the soil, on the spoil, and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? How does Saul respond? Responds to Samuel, he says, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction. Listen to this. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. We see just simply by reading through this passage, some of the patterns that um, we just read in the account of Genesis chapter 3. Saul was to lead the people. Adam was to lead his wife. Failure on both accounts in that way. We, we read of fault blaming, right? No one confessed and said and owned up to the sinfulness that they walked in. They didn't say, yeah, you're right. I sinned against you. I'm the one who made this decision. I was responsible. I've fallen short. What does Saul say? It's like, but the people. I did all these things. You hear multiple times, I did what you told me. I did what you told me. I, I walked in faithfulness, but it was those people. Those people that actually you made me leader and ruler of. I guess I fell short there. He doesn't say that. We see that in the Genesis 3 account. Right? It was the serpent. It was the woman. You can call it sin-shifting, self-justifying. The Lord does not desire our sacrifices. And we shouldn't presume upon him grace to be granted for our sinfulness, just so we can walk in its pleasures. But we can read of the promises of the blessings that he gives us for our obedience and a right heart before him. Point number C in your teaching outline this morning. In life, we are given a choice. Obey God and enjoy his blessing and fellowship. We've got this choice. We we can walk in obedience to the Lord God. And as a result of our obedience, we can see blessings from the Lord. Now, the blessings might not be what we particularly hope for or desire. But as we look back on it, we can see the Lord's omniscience and his favor. And that it certainly was a blessing and a protection from him. Verse 23 from Genesis chapter 3, if you want to turn there back with me. Verse 23 said this, it said, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. In life we're given this choice of obedience and the blessing of God and his fellowship. Or we choose to disobey God. And as a result of disobeying God, what happens? We reap the consequences of our sin. Adam and Eve would live out the consequences of their disobedience to God. They had received his mercy. Right? He could have just striked them down right then and said, Yep, I'm done with humankind. I'm done with this earth. But even before the foundations of the world were made, he had a plan. And that's where we rejoice, even that God would be, have already planned for a Savior to redeem and to restore us. Man is born in sin and continues to sin against God. And this does require a sacrifice. It requires new clothes to be in God's presence. Our sin earned us death. 
a death that would eternally separate us from God himself. Secondly, listen to the Almighty God. We have these choices. Are we going to obey God and and enjoy His blessings? Are we going to disobey God and reap the consequences of our own sinfulness? Or are we going to listen to the Almighty Creator God? Or are we going to heed the lies of His enemies? Who are His enemies? What are you going to choose? Are you going to choose obedience or disobedience? What's impacting your choices? Will you choose to obey God and trust his perfect instructions? Or will you taste that which appears pleasing to you and your eyes? You're going to eat the forbidden fruit. Jesus himself said that the devil is a liar. Not only is he a liar, he is the father of lies. This father of lies is also a murderer. And he's been a murderer from the very beginning of time. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 10, continues on to explain his life-giving mission. Jesus wants to give, give us life in him. And a life that he describes as abundant. It's overflowing in his goodness It's full, it's complete, it's not lacking in anything. Satan wants us to to think that the world has something to offer us that God does not want us to have, that he's holding back from us, that he's holding back good things from us. We look simply back to these first three chapters in Genesis and we see how the world is lying to us, how Satan himself is lying to us. Do not be deceived, nor stand in your own strength, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He's prowling around, but he's also seeking someone to devour. Are you giving Satan the opportunity to devour you? To rob you of the opportunity for obedience? Opportunity of God's blessing? Point number D in your outline this morning. When we have been in the presence of God and received his blessings, Our desire should be to remain there. When we've been in the presence of God, received his blessings, our desire should be to remain there. You would think Adam and Eve, that their desire would be to remain in the garden, to to be able to remain in God's presence and enjoy all the goodness that he had given them in that garden. But they took their eyes off of what God wanted. And they started thinking about what they might want or what they told they should desire. Verse 24 says this, He drove out the man. This is God. God drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Point number one, even though undone and ashamed for our rejection of him, we should, be, we should desire to stay in his presence and to remain there. When we turn to Isaiah 6, you don't, don't turn there right now, but if we were to turn to Isaiah 6, we would hear Isaiah saying these words when he was in the presence of Jesus himself. When he saw Christ for his holiness, for his glory, he recognized his sinful state. He said, woe is me. He recognized his uncleanliness, that I am a man of unclean lips. Job, after he had been having some discussions with God himself, at the very end of Job 42, verse 5 and 6, he said this, I had heard of you, he's speaking to God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see, my eyes see you. Therefore, I, will, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Do we have that kind of brokenness? when we're in God's presence. When we're in God's word and we're learning of his attributes, of his character, of his desires for us, do we say, I am a man of unclean lips? Do we recognize, do we say, woe is me? 
Do we say such bold words as, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes? As believers, we have a new identity in Christ, and we rejoice in those. But we still battle continually with our flesh. We battle continually in this world that sometimes proves victorious in our lives. Pray that the Lord grows in victory in all that you do and all that you say in your thought life and the things that you refrain from. Point number two, God forcefully drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. That's what this verse is telling us, that it was God who actually forced Adam and Eve out of the garden. God drove man out in the same way that he will end up driving Cain from the face of the ground that had received his sinful act of killing Abel that we'll hear more of next week, Lord willing. It's that same driving out that Sarah would actually say to Abraham to do of Hagar and Ishmael. It means to be forcefully removed from one's presence. Why did God do this? What does the word tell us? It tells us that Adam and Eve no longer would be allowed access to the tree of life because it's a privilege, it's a grace of God that they no longer were, were able to eat from. Adam and Eve no longer had any right to the fruit of the garden, especially the free gift of God, which is eternal life. In fact, they actually wouldn't want eternal life in their current state. They wouldn't want to keep on living in their sinfulness. If they kept on eating of that, that tree that granted them eternal life, they would continue in their state. It was, a, it was a work of mercy of God to grant them a certain length of days, a certain amount of breaths. God was the one who placed the guard and the sword prohibiting the sinful to take from the tree of life. This defiance against God would quickly be seen in Adam and Eve's offspring, as we'll hear again next week. It was through the seed of Adam that sin was spread. God was the one who placed the guard, and he can also make a way to the tree of life. He wants us to eat of that tree. He wants us to be in his presence. Fourthly, our sin's result is death. But there is hope. Romans 6.23, many of you might know it from what we would often call the Romans Road when we're sharing the gospel with people. It starts out with a, a truth that was reflective even of the fall of man in, Rome, in, in Genesis 3. It says this, for the wages of sin is death. It means our sinfulness, what has, it has earned us, is our death. We can't eat from that eternal, that tree that offers eternal life. But there's good news immediately after that statement. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Father wants us to eat of that free gift of his, Jesus Christ, his son. So that's the good news. The fall and the curse that was imposed doesn't have to be our continued state of being this morning. God had a plan of redemption for mankind. God has a plan for restoration. Amen? Amen. He's going to restore. He's going to make things all pure and perfect without any sinful defiance against him. The joy of living in complete obedience and surrender to him and in his glory and his presence. The taste of only what is good. What a gracious God he is. You might have noticed we skipped the verse. Let's turn back to verse 22 in Genesis 3. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And it just kind of stops there. We turn to the scriptures and you'll see a couple different passages listed in your teaching outline. And I wanted us to briefly focus on the tree of life. I wanted us to consider what eternal life is and what Genesis 3.22 says. We just read it. 
God wanted to prevent man from taking of this tree of life and eat, taking of it and eating and living forever. We read of redemption in John 14, 6, where Jesus said to, to him, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mankind is fearful of death, and rightly so. It's not so much of, what, of the unknown. It's an inbred, God-given understanding that they will go before his throne, and they should be rightly afraid if they're standing in their own righteousness, if they're standing in their own fig leaf loin covering before the Lord God. But we have an option. The best alternative ever. Let's turn over and read from Romans chapter 5 this morning. I want to read a passage for us this morning that helps just tie things together. Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those sinning, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, praise the Lord. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We'll talk about that in a minute. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the good news this morning. Because of Jesus, we can enter this new Jerusalem that Revelation will go on to describe for us. We'll get to eat of the tree of life and we'll get to live forever in God's presence. But we won't live forever in that loincloth that simply just covers up our sinfulness. God's providing a sacrifice for us that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Just Not just covered, but cleansed. Revelation 2, 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. God is in the business of restoring what needs to be re restored. And we, as a people, need to be restored and made right with God. Revelation 22 we read of a blessing, and there's a, a great warning there as well. I'm just going to read a couple of the verses that I've noted there. I would encourage you to go back, read through the whole chapter. It's such, a, it's such a, a, an opportunity for us to have a rightly placed hope. Verse 14 says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. How can we possibly have the right to this tree of life? It's through Christ, it's through a trust in him, through his work on the cross, not for anything that we can do, 
for any act, not for anything that we simply say. It's only because of Jesus. Verse 19 says this. And let's listen. It says, And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. God has given us his word, the truth. He's given us just the the sufficiency of scripture. Everything pertaining to life and godliness can be found there. Spirit desires for us to have a complete surrender to him, to his will in our lives, that we would walk in holiness, that we would see increasing amounts of fruit, that we would be on Jesus' mission as he's called us to be in making disciples, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the goodness of God. How might we actually be taking away from the word of God when we don't consider its full counsel? When we don't consider all of God's commands for us? Back to that question I started with. Do you really believe the word of God to be true? And then that introspective question, how am I denying his truth and instruction for my very life? Life application, as you know, I enjoy questions. I've just given you some questions. These aren't questions to be answered right now, though you might be convicted about something that you need to respond immediately to. But my encouragement would be, later on this week, go back and consider again the truths that are proclaimed in God's word. Consider these questions. Read the passages. See how the Lord would have you respond. His word will give you the right response to these questions. The first question is, do my actions show that I believe I know better than God? We might never say that, but do my actions actually reflect that I think I know better than God for this instance? Do I reject his omniscient counsel and commands by listening and acting upon my own wisdom and the world's lies? It's pretty vain to think that we might know better than God. The creator of all things, the one who knows everything about us, one who knit us together in our mother's womb, knows our very thoughts. He knows our hearts. So often we, we read of Jesus knowing the hearts of men that he was around. Second question is, how do I need to respond to God today? Each and every single day we have to ask that question. How do I need to respond to God today? When we're in his word, is that a question that, that we often consider? Is it a question that we always consider? What do I, how do I need to respond to God in view of what I just read? Is there a command for me to obey? Is there something that I need to confess and repent of? Is there something that I need to just drop and worship the Lord in for his goodness? What must I confess to him? God is faithful and just, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just cover up our sin. He cleanses us from that unrighteousness. He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't identify us and brand us as this sinner, just like Eve wasn't branded as a sinner. She was named for the promise and obedience that God would do that work in her and provide through her. Question three, the most important question, have you received God's gracious provision of grace freely offered through Jesus? I said grace there twice. I was going to pull it out, but no, we can't stop rejoicing in the grace of God. for those who have trusted in Christ Jesus as their Savior, for his work on the cross, for the man who lived a life fully obedient to God, did everything that God had asked him and refrained from everything that God had told him to refrain from. Today, we can be that same way. We can stand before the Father, cleansed from all unrighteousness, clothed with Christ's righteousness, as if we always obeyed the Lord God himself. If you're saved today, are you living your life in Christ? Are you drawing on the true vine 
abiding in Christ and him in you? Do you see the fruit that should be coming from a life spirit-filled, trusting in the strength of Christ, not in your own strength, not in your own efforts? Are you rejoicing and living under God's provision that he's given for you today? He's such a gracious and generous God. Are you rejoicing in the care that he's shown to you in his providing of a Savior, the Lord God? This morning it's important we have a right understanding of all that transpired in those first three chapters in Genesis. Continue on through Genesis and we'll see Again, that man is indeed in need of a savior. That left to our own devices, we'll continue to elevate ourselves above God. That we'll make decisions that dishonor God, that go against his commands. That show a hatred for our brothers and sisters. That show that we value ourselves over them. But the Lord God is generous to give us a new heart, a heart of flesh towards each other. Softness, compassion, his love for others. Not a love that's self-serving. So let's believe God's word to be true. Let's believe what it says about him and his character. Let's believe the plan that he has for us, not only for redemption, but for a complete restoration that we can one day be in something even better than the garden, whole new Jerusalem. We can be in God's holy presence. That is the joy that we get to look forward to because of Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your throne through your Son, Jesus. Who would be that perfect sacrifice for our sinfulness? Lord, as we look and consider how we often try to robe ourselves in some kind of covering so that we can come into your presence, help us to understand the importance of confessing our sin to you. Lord, confessing it to others as well if if we have sinned against them. Father, we again rejoice in the truth of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, Lord, if we confess them to you, that you will take those sins away. Lord, that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't leave us blemished and spotted with sin before you. Lord, we have the opportunity to hit the reset button any time that we call upon your name. But Lord, help us never diminish the the cost of our salvation. Lord, as we look to Jesus, the author of our faith, we trust in him to be the perfecter of our faith as well. Lord, help us to leave here a changed people, a, a people who have a whole new desire in their life, to live a life that is pleasing to you, to consider their ways and acknowledge you in all of them. Lord, it's in you we trust, and it's in you we cling to. In Christ's name we pray, amen.